the, then the thing that really sets me off is, well, once we have a vaccine, then everything will go back, back to, to normal. normal. Yeah. And I say, you mean like the flu vaccine that's 8% effective? Doesn't work. I catch I mean, if I had a brake pad manufacturing company for cars and my brake pads were 8% effective, I would be out of business. George Floyd was not taken out because he was black. George Floyd was taken out because he was owed major drug money by Derek Shaver. You're making vaccines that are 8% effective for the flu that you have to change every year, which, by the way, give most people that take them the flu. Mm -hmm. And you're going to tell me that this new, and they can't sue, you can't sue them for this without going through the VAERS court, which is a joke. And you're going to tell me that once we have a untested, brand new, rushed through vaccine, then everything is going to go back to normal? Good luck with that. I'll tell you what, they're going to test it in Africa, like they're doing, kill a bunch of Africans, pay them off $1,000 per person, which is the maximum that they have to spend if they kill somebody. So they already know that because it's way cheaper to kill them there than kill them here. Found out what the Chinese Communist Party, the Red Dragon, is doing to these people and have been doing to these people for the last 20 years in China, sending hundreds and thousands of innocent Falun Gong practitioners, Uyghur Muslims, house Christians, and Tibetan Buddhists. Particularly, 95% of um, the victims are Falun Gong practitioners to be state-mandated hospitals, concentration camps, death camps, military facilities, uh, military facilities run by the Chinese military at the behest of the, of the highest-ranking officials of the Chinese Communist Party to create a illegal sanctions forced organ harvesting business. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Defender Podcast. We are coming to you from the greatest country in the world, deep in the heart of the Lone Star State, Dallas, Texas. Uh, I'm your host, Paul Aguilar. I really appreciate you guys stopping in. Uh, if you guys are catching us on YouTube and you aren't already a subscriber, please consider hitting that subscribe button as well as that uh, bell icon. Um, give me a sec. And also, if you guys can hit that like button as well, that'll really help us out. Um, if you guys are trying to catch us on the go, you guys can uh, check us out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio at Truth Defender Podcast. We'll have all of the social media linked down below as well. Um, if you guys have any questions or comments for myself or our guests, uh, guests or topic recommendations, you can send that over uh, to thetruthdefender1776 at gmail.com. Our next guest is Mr. Ken Gerhardt. Uh, Mr. Gerhardt is a cryptozoologist and field investigator. Uh, he is a field investigator for the Center of Fortean Zoology, as well as a fellow of the Pangaea Institute and consultant for several anomalous research organizations. He has traveled the world searching for evidence of mysterious animals and legendary beasts, including Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, Chupacabra, enigmatic winged creatures, and even werewolves. In addition to co-hosting the History Channel's TV series Missing in Alaska, Ken has appeared in the series Monster Quest and is featured in the History Channel special The Real Wolfman, as well as Ancient Aliens, Legend Hunters, Unexplained Files, uh, Paranatural, Weird or What with William Shatner, and many, many other series as well. Mr. Ken Gerhardt, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well, Paul. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's a, an honor and a pleasure to be here with you today. Appreciate you taking the time out. Um, yeah, so I want to go ahead and jump straight in here. Um, I guess, so for myself, 
um, kind of the first run-ins with any kind of crypto animals or anything related. So I'm originally from West Texas, so I'm from El Paso. So the only kind of like thing you have out there that we heard of during that time was the Chupacabra. Didn't really hear too much about like Bigfoot, although I know there are stories of them out there. Um, around that time, it was just kind of Chupacabra and just a lot of the stuff that comes up from like from within Mexico. Um, now, I guess we can kind of start, maybe go back to your beginnings and how you got interested in it all. Uh, what were some of like the main creatures that you would hear about growing up? Wow. Well, um, yeah. So first of all, I like to tell people that um, growing up, I was already really interested in monster movies and stuff. Like I, I love old Godzilla movies and Creature from the Black Lagoon and all those old horror movies. And I also loved animals. Uh, my father was a forestry professor. We spent a lot of time in the outdoors and I used to collect all kinds of critters and things. So, um, so when I first heard about cryptozoology, when I was a kid, this was back in the seventies, I was immediately like enthralled and just thought it was the coolest thing ever. But the, the first thing I ever heard about was Bigfoot. And, uh, I remember vividly one Saturday morning watching cartoons and there was a little news break where they talked about, uh, Bigfoot sightings. And, uh, they showed uh, a clip of that famous film known as the Patterson Gimlin film, where you can see the the Bigfoot kind of striding off into the woods and they were showing plaster casts of these giant human-like footprints. So that was the first cryptid I ever heard of and was very fascinated with that, you know, the possibility that there was some mysterious hair-covered giant human-like creature running around in North America was pretty amazing. And then my mother was a big influence on me and she used to tell me stories about the Yeti and uh, the Mothman and, uh, you know, of course, I, n nobody really heard of the Chupacabra until the 1990s. So that was kind of a, uh, I've investigated a lot of those alleged accounts. Um, so, yeah, it was just, a, it's been a lifelong passion of mine. Um, I attempted my first field research when I was 15 years old. My family took a vacation at Loch Ness in Scotland, which is home of the famous Loch Ness monster, also known as Nessie. And so when I was 15 years old, I was you know, kind of camping out by the lake with a movie camera and interviewing local people and trying to collect evidence. And um, so, yeah, it's just been a lifelong passion of mine. I, I didn't really plan on making it a career, but I've been very blessed, Paul, to have had opportunities to travel and investigate a lot of these subjects and written some books. And uh, as you mentioned, I've also, you know, been on a number of television shows. So it's, uh, it's been quite a ride, but I, I really love what I do. Yeah, that's great. Uh, it's, 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 uh, so, so, I mean, like you mentioned, you've been all over the world. I mean, is there, I guess maybe one kind of creature that sticks out from around the world that really caught your interest the most? Like, I mean, is there like one like special one that you really, you know, wanted to go out looking for? Oh man, people ask me that all the time and it's really hard for me to choose because I have a very diverse interest. I mean, I, I, I'm very active in the Bigfoot field. Um, I've investigated that all over North America. Um, Thunderbirds, these giant wing creatures. And actually, we have a lot of accounts in Texas, ranging from Dallas, but mainly down in the Rio Grande Valley and places around Brownsville and Harlingen and some of those spots, Laredo. Um, Chupacabra. I, I have to say my favorite 
I say hard to say favorite, but uh, one interesting one that I've investigated was down in uh, Belize, which is of course nestled just below Mexico there in the Caribbean, Central American country. And there have been accounts there of a Bigfoot type creature known as the Sisamito, uh, and also a small one called the Duende. So there's two different types of one's giant, one's small, but they're both described as being like hairy and man-like. And uh, I, a lot of people are not aware of the fact that there are Bigfoot accounts, not only from Central America, but also in Mexico. Right. Like in this, I have contacts in, in Mexico in the Sierra Madres that, that give me accounts of something known as the, the Ganocos or Ganos, uh, which is like a Bigfoot type creature. And then uh, Bigfoot sightings range all the way down. So anyways, I, I love the habitat in Belize. I was in the interior of the country. It was very thick jungle. Uh, lots of Maya ruins, and um, you know, we were searching in the mountains there for this creature. People, the locals there, the Maya people, describe it as a like a man-like gorilla standing about six or seven feet tall, and it lives up in the mountains, and it screams very loud, and that sounds just like a description of, of Bigfoot or Sasquatch here in the U.S. So, right. uh, you know, I didn't find any conclusive evidence. Obviously, I interviewed a lot of people down there, and um, heard some stories of giant footprints and other things, but uh, uh, that was kind of a fun investigation down there. But again, mainly because of the habitat, you know, it's very remote kind of uh, montane jungle type of habitat. So it's, it's, you know, pretty much unexplored. So. Sure. I've always been kind of curious as to how, I guess, how does one, I guess, get like an expedition together to go out looking for things? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of like-minded people that are actually, you know, also looking for these things as well. Um, but I mean, how does one go about, I don't know, I guess, finding people to say, hey, I need you to come with or let's go out and look for this and that? I mean, obviously, all you need is the will to go. But I mean, do you do you all guys kind of stay in touch and just say like, Hey, this is what I found lately. Do you have anything new? And you guys just kind of pack up and take off. Is that how that works? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, the cryptozoology community is pretty tight knit. We're spread out around the world, but everybody that, that's into this pretty much knows each other. Uh, there's an organization that I belong to in England called the center for 40 and zoology. And they have, they've actually for years, they've been mounting expeditions all over the world to search for everything from, the Tasmanian tiger, which is a cryptid down in the island of Tasmania, south of Australia. The orang pendek, which is like a, a, a Bigfoot creature, a little foot, really, because it's smaller from the Sumatran jungle and, and so forth. So that's one example of an organization that does it. But more often, I'm, you know, I'm often invited by my colleagues, as you kind of inferred, you know, maybe somebody has said, hey, I've got this area, we need to go check it out. And so we'll just kind of put it together. We're all self-funded. So, you know, we pretty much just have to pay for this out of our pockets, which is fine. You know, it's, it's about discovery. But I'll give you one recent example. Um, at the beginning of July, I went with three colleagues out to Northern California to search for evidence of giant salamanders. And salamanders, of course, are large amphibians. Uh, they look like lizards, but they're amphibians. They're related to frogs and toads and newts and stuff. But there have been reports for years from this particular area called the Trinity National Forest of monstrous salamanders from like five to eight feet long, truly gigantic. Right. And uh, this particular expedition actually started out on a Facebook post because 
someone mentioned these giant salamander accounts from Northern California. And a couple of my friends were commenting underneath and said, oh, I'd love to go do that. You know, me too. And so I messaged them both. And I said, well, let's go. You know, so right. we, it took us months, but we kind of, you know, got together logistically and four of us went out there and uh, drove out from Texas and Oklahoma. And uh, we spent about a week searching, didn't find uh, any evidence of these monster salamanders. But, uh, but, you know, that's just one example of, I guess, with social media now, if you can connect with the right people, you can, you can put your own expedition together. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, you've obviously been around the world looking for like all kinds of monsters as well. I mean, what's kind of like the most remote areas, you know, that you've actually had to travel to, to look for, you know, you know these kind of things. Wow. Um, well, Central America, like I said, is pretty remote. I've, uh, I've camped along the Amazon river in South America. That's about as remote as it gets. Right. Um, there are sightings down there of a creature called the Mapinguari, which is possibly a Bigfoot or possibly a gigantic ground sloth about six feet tall. Okay. Uh, there were huge ground sloths uh, that were around during the Ice Age, the Pleistocene, about 10,000 years ago down there. And some people claim to still see them. Um, I've hiked the desert of Australia. That's a pretty vast I mean, once you get into the interior of Australia, it's just, you know, as vast and unexplored as you can imagine. And it's a very dry, not that dissimilar from El Paso in that area. You know, you, you can imagine that going on for like a couple Forever. thousand miles. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have some colleagues that have gone to the Congo in Africa, which is a pretty treacherous expedition, uh, searching for uh, uh, reports of living dinosaurs known as the Mokele and Bembe. And I have another colleague that's gone five times to Papua New Guinea uh, into the, some of the islands there searching for uh, something that was said to resemble a pterodactyl uh, called the Ropin. So, but those, I haven't had an opportunity to go to either of those locations, but I've heard some really, some pretty gripping stories about, you know, my colleagues that have gone on some of those expeditions that have gotten pretty sick with malaria, staph infections, uh, I mean, it's, you know, there's a lots of little things there that will kill you and eat you. So, so it's pretty, pretty dangerous. And also the human element. I mean, if you get into some of these really remote areas in the jungle, you know, it's kind of no man's land and there, there's no, there's no nine 11. And then, you know, oftentimes, uh, investigators will run across, you know, kind of, uh, bandits and, and, uh, gorillas, not the the ape gorilla, but gorilla, you know, guys with machine guns and stuff. So uh, some of those can be pretty, pretty dangerous. <laughs> yeah, no, I can only imagine being out there. It's it's kind of rough when, you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere and there's no one coming to save yeah. you. <laughs> it's just you nope. and whatever's out there. <laughs> you're on your own. At, yeah. In some of those situations for sure. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, though. It's uh, definitely once in a lifetime. If anybody ever has a chance to, you know, it's definitely one of those things you should do. But um, so like I wanted to get to, I mean, obviously, uh, you looked into werewolves now, would that be kind of along the same lines as like the dog man here? Would that kind of be the same thing? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. I've investigated some dogman accounts here in North America, uh, primarily the beast of Bray road, which is a famous one up in Wisconsin. There's also right. been accounts of something called the defiance werewolf, uh, in Ohio, and then here in Texas, there have been a, a couple of cases that I investigated that, that were 
potentially related to quote unquote werewolves. Um, and I have a lot of friends and colleagues that are into the dog man. I'm not real heavy into the dog man stuff. I find it fascinating, but, um, but the most famous one I investigated was actually in France. And uh, what most people don't realize is that if you go to Southern France, it's pretty remote. It's kind of like small mountains and very rural areas. And there's a famous legend there of a creature known as the beast of Gévaudan. And uh, this was supposed to be, this is way back in the 1760s. <clears throat> For three years, there was supposedly this giant wolf-like creature that went on a murderous rampage and attacked and killed anywhere from 60 to 100 people, uh, often in very heinous and grotesque ways, decapitating people and disemboweling them. Most of its victims were children and women. And uh, so I did a, actually did a special for the History Channel in 2009 called The Real Wolf Man. And um, I went, went over there and investigated with a, another researcher. And, um, you know, obviously it's a very old case, so we weren't expecting to find the beast. But we did investigate uh, a lot of the archival materials, which included the, uh, the death certificates of its victims. We got to go to the areas where the victims were killed. I actually stood in the cemetery of, of, of victims, about a dozen victims. So whatever this thing was, it was definitely the closest thing to a werewolf that I guess anyone could imagine. Now, supposedly it was shot, finally, by a guy named Jean Chastel in 1767, uh, but nobody knows what happened to the body. So it's, there's kind of a mystery there in terms of, you know, where are the remains and so forth. But it's a pretty fascinating story. And in France, it's kind of like their version of Bigfoot or Chupacabra or, you know, they have museums and statues. And it's, it's a pretty famous legend, particularly in southern France. Right. Yeah, I believe I've heard something of it in the past. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. I mean, the, the whole dogman thing here, I recently spoke with uh, Jody Cook, which is um, from North North American Dog Project as well. Um, mm -hmm. You get a lot of great stories about that as well. Um, it's just interesting, to, you know, to hear about. You know, I like hear we have the Dog Man, and obviously it has a bunch of different names, but but to actually hear, you know, different stories about it all over the world is definitely interesting as well. It just kind of, you know, confirms a little bit more that that it's not just something local and made up. You know, there's actually other creatures around the world of the same kind. You know, if if a lot of a lot more people have seen it then, you know, like, that lends more credibility to it as well, um, yeah, which is great. Sure. Yeah, it's, so, I mean, we can kind of, here in, here in Texas, I mean, one of the things um, I didn't really know too much was that there was a whole lot of Bigfoot sightings here in Texas until, I mean, I spoke with uh, Dark Waters a lot, like, like a while back. He, you know, he was letting me know about stories that they had here about, Bigfoots and things like that um but just something that I had never heard obviously coming from West Texas mm -hmm. um, there's not a whole lot of stories about that out there but apparently out here up like in North Texas where I'm at now and in all these areas there's apparently a whole bunch of stories about them that I never even knew about <laughs> so that's that's interesting yeah absolutely well um actually you're right you're right and where i live in san antonio we don't have a lot of bigfoot sightings around here either for obvious reasons the habitat's not very wooded or i, I should say the woods are kind of kind of small scrubby mesquite trees and things but uh actually out near san antonio 
there's a semi-famous Bigfoot creature known as the Horizon City Monster, if you know where Horizon City is. Right. And um, in about 2000, 2001, there was a woman in Horizon City named Cecilia Montañez who claims that uh, she encountered this creature that was like a Bigfoot with pointy ears and uh, it was feasting on roadkill on the side of the road. And then she had a second sighting a year later, allegedly. But sightings of the Horizon City monster actually go back to 1975 when some teenagers claimed they saw this Bigfoot running around on a golf course there. So, but you know, those are rare. Um, North Texas has a lot of sightings. Texas actually ranks pretty high in terms of the number of Bigfoot sightings around the U.S., probably about seventh on the list. But most of those sightings are in the far eastern part of the state, like east of I-45. Okay. So if you get into like uh, in northeast Texas, you have Jefferson, which is the Bigfoot mm -hmm. capital of Texas by Caddo Lake. And then you can travel down from there and you have like the Davy Crockett National Forest and uh, the Big Thicket, the Trinity River Corridor, uh, the Sabine River Corridor. I mean, there's a lot of Bigfoot sightings in those areas. And if if you've been in those areas, you realize it's not your typical Texas. It's really thick, you know, brush, uh, swampy, dense, and very hard to get into. So that's where most of the Texas sightings of Bigfoot come from. But there are a lot of them. Yeah, and it's it's it was kind of shocking to hear that. I mean, so I live kind of north of Dallas, about 20 minutes north uh, in Rockwall. So it's we're not like in the city, but we're up here, uh, not too far, but um, you would hear stories of like, so, I mean, obviously if, if you've been to Dallas, if anybody knows, there's kind of like that giant gap in between downtown going into South Dallas, where it's like trees and it's just like those, those bridges that go back and forth and stuff. So apparently in that area down there where there's nothing but grass and stuff, they're, they're supposed to build a park. I don't know when that's supposed to be done. They were going to build like a whole lake thing with trees and all kinds of stuff. Um, who knows when that's going to happen? But I mean, apparently out through those areas, there's been like sightings of creatures in there, mm -hmm. Bigfoots and such. Like, because there's, I mean, if you're driving over it, over the bridge, and you look down, it's just nothing but grass. But there's areas where it's just like trees and giant bushes and there's water and stuff. You can see how things could live in there. But like, how do they get <laughs> into that? Because it's right in the middle, like, downtown so like where does do they come from do those waters lead out somewhere you know it's just kind of unless you follow it, i've never actually been out to the end of it so i don't know where it goes but it's just kind of odd to know that in the middle of downtown literally there's like actual bigfoot sightings like in the city which is crazy <laughs> which is weird um you know but apparently you know they're out there so that's interesting yeah yeah, those are rare. You're right. Um, most sightings of Bigfoot occur typically in the deep wilderness areas, but even here around San Antonio, there were some sightings back in the 1970s near the old Kelly Air Force Base, which mm -hmm. is pretty close to the center of the city with some wooded areas. But you're right, that is an enigma. Um, you know, there are a number of theories about Bigfoot, and obviously it's all speculation. Uh, Paul, none of us know for sure, but I've been investigating it, you know, for decades. But, um, you know, one of the theories is that they're very nomadic and they move around a lot. But, you know, with any animal species, you have something called a transient individual, which means that it's an individual that roams 
out of its expected range for whatever reason in search of food or just moving from spot A to spot B. And, um, you know, my own hypothesis about Bigfoot, if they exist, is that they have to be very intelligent, not as not as intelligent as humans. I'm not saying that, but at least intelligent enough to recognize that they don't want to be discovered by humans, that we are their greatest threat or their direct competition. And so if you consider that as an adaptation, then they're very, very good at staying hidden from us. And actually, I heard a great metaphor this past weekend. A a colleague of mine called them the ninjas of the forest. So, um, you know, in terms of looking at it like an army or, you know, sniper or something like, you know, those guys, you know, they can just completely disappear and vanish and camouflage. And that's, I think, what kind of Bigfoot does. I think it. They're, they're mostly out at night. They're nomadic, nocturnal, and they just, they're good at supposedly good at like hiding behind trees and peeking out or, or just blending in. Right. So, you know, I mean, it's this, again, this is all speculation, but if they're really, really good at that, then maybe they can find ways to, to somehow slip into those more populated areas on rare occasions. I'm not saying it happens a lot, but maybe sure. once in a while. Right. Who knows? Yeah. No, I mean, it's all, it's all definitely possible. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of a weird area because it's, I mean, for anybody that actually lives here, that's actually been to Dallas knows what I'm talking about, but it's kind of like, you're kind of getting into downtown, but you're not quite there. So it's like on the other side of there, it's South Dallas, but in between that area, it's so kind of wide and it's a lot of area. I mean, anything could be in there. And you never see anybody down there walking or anything like that. It's it's just kind of one of those areas that's left on you know right. alone. So it's I mean I have no doubt that maybe something could slip in, in the middle of the night or something. But um, there's just not enough people down there to really deter anything away. I mean you even see deer and stuff in the cities, and so I mean it's possible. I mean it's just weird. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is weird. You're right. It's like probably uncommon if it happens, but but that is unusual if it does happen. Yeah, it's, I mean, I've heard, I just want to, I guess, maybe get your opinion on this is, is, so I've spoken to a number of people in the past about Bigfoot and, you know, kind of what they are, where they, where they come from or where they came from. Have they been here long before we were? Uh, I've even heard stories of like people spotting UFOs and Bigfoot coming out of UFOs and you know, that's probably one of the reasons why like nobody ever finds them, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's, people, yeah. People that, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, do you lend any, I mean, I guess, do you kind of keep your options open or are you kind of, from what you've seen, do you kind of lean more towards one way or the other? Well, I'm, I'm pretty open-minded, Paul. I, you know, I try, I pride myself on trying to stay as objective and open-minded as possible, but, Here's the thing, and this is an important distinction that we have to make with re- regard to what I do, cryptozoology. So the most important word in cryptozoology is zoology, which means the study of animals, which is a scientific study of all the species, known species on the planet, their behavior, their biology, and adaptations, ecology, and evolution. So anything that is technically within the field of cryptozoology or a cryptid has to fit within that paradigm. Bigfoot actually does because Bigfoot seems to resemble a hominid or a pre-human form or a great ape of some kind. It's kind of halfway between a man and a, and a great ape 
Um, so it and things that look like Bigfoot can be found in our fossil record. Things that look like Bigfoot did exist millions of years ago in Africa. So that's the first thing. There are some other cryptids too, like uh, lake monsters, like the Loch Ness monster, could very well be animals that haven't been discovered as well, because the descriptions match prehistoric animals. Uh, same with the giant birds that we have here in Texas, the thunderbirds. There were, there were giant birds in North America 10,000 years ago called teratorns that had these 12 to 18 foot wingspans. Black panthers, and a lot of people don't realize that these are cryptids, but if you see a quote unquote giant black panther running around Texas or anywhere else, those are not supposed to exist, but a lot of people report seeing those. So all of those are bona fide cryptids. Things that aren't technically in the field of cryptozoology include the dog man. There's nothing in the natural world that looks like dog man or even close. Uh, the moth man uh, and even things like the chupacabra. But those, I'm, I'm not saying those things don't exist. I'm just saying they're not, I don't see those as flesh and blood animals uh, or undiscovered animals like I view the others. I think they're something that's more and I'm just purely speculating here, but if people want to call it supernatural or extraterrestrial or demonic or whatever, it's not of this, it's not flesh and blood, whatever they are. So, I'm, uh, you know, I've interviewed many people that have seen Dogman, Mothman, uh, other weird creatures that should not exist. And they're very sincere and that they've seen something. So I, I just... I, but I can't, I don't, my own opinion is that whatever those things are, that they're pretty much beyond our current level of understanding, that we don't know what they are, where they come from. And maybe they're not here all the time. Maybe they just manifest or come through different right. windows or, you know, whatever. There's a lot of theories about that. So again, I'm giving it credibility because I think, you know, those are valid phenomenon, but they're not necessarily, Dogman's not like Bigfoot. It's not, I don't think it's an animal running around in the woods out there. I think it's something that's, you know, metaphysical. Right. So. No, it definitely seemed to be, especially like the Mothman, things like that, where, you know, a lot of people report that they only see it when, you know, something bad's about to happen or like right. directly yeah. afterwards. So it could maybe lend itself that people are manifesting itself or manifesting it through like, like emotion or, you know, something like that. I mean, there, exactly. Anything's, Great theory. Yeah. So like anything's I mean, possible. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. That's one of the theories. I wrote a book about Mothman encounters with flying humanoids. And, you know, even though it's not typical cryptozoology, I was speaking to so many eyewitnesses and that was kind of my, one of my speculations, Paul, you nailed it, is that maybe somehow we manifest these creatures into our reality, either through our emotions or our, our, the power of our subconscious minds or just something we don't understand. Cause if you right. think about dog, man, I mean, did anyone ever really hear about dog man until about like 30 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, right. it, it, it's not like Bigfoot where you can trace back a long history and you can find in native American traditions. Right. Think about that. You have native American traditions all over the continent about Bigfoot, things like Bigfoot, things like Lake monsters and Thunderbirds. But there's no Native American traditions really that talk about dog man, unless you consider the skinwalker stories from the Navajo. But, you know, so anyways, it seems like in recent years, the dog man is now everywhere. I mean, there are right. sightings all over the world and they're becoming more and more frequent. And to me, that infers kind of what you suggested, that maybe this is something that we created with our minds or our collective conscious. And 
I don't know, it's a pretty far out theory, but that's really the only way I can, you know, kind of wrap my head around it. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true. I mean, I, up until, I don't want to say maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, me personally, I had never heard any kind of actual stories about dogmen here in the States. Um, and apparently they've been around for a while, but I mean, you look kind of back, the only other place you really find anything related to dogmen of any kind is like in the Bible, stuff like that, that has stories. Um, but I mean, besides that, you know, throughout the years, like thousands of years up until now, besides that, like, you know, just like you said, there was no real like stories from Native Americans or anything like that. So yeah. I werewolf, but those, that's, yeah. supposedly that's a little different. And so like, this is a great debate that goes on with my friends in the dogman field. Cause some people, well, it's just a werewolf. No, it's not. What's the difference? <laughs> well, the traditional werewolf from the, you know, 16th century in France and Germany and Europe was supposedly a shapeshifter. It was a person that could transform into a wolf-like creature, either through witchcraft or some magic or pack with the devil. And so, and the traditional werewolf from France and Germany of the the Middle Ages was like, it was a four-legged animal. It looked like a wolf, but it had human-like eyes. And sometimes it didn't have a tail, but it was very much like a wolf on four legs. Whereas with the dog man, as you know, most people describe something that has like halfway between a, a wolf and a, or a dog and a human, you know, it walks right. upright. It's got a dog like head, but it's got like some human like torso and shoulders. And so it seems, so I don't know, that's kind of an interesting debate that, that I hear the dog man researchers like Jody cook and others talk about and argue about is, you know, well, what is it actually related to werewolf legends or mm-hmm. is it something completely different? Yeah, it's, there's definitely, I mean, there's different kind. It's, it's it's all I mean it's all interesting it's all I guess part of the same group it just kind of depends who's telling the stories and you know what's what's been passed down over the years and that, that definitely plays a big part in it but um, yeah I mean here kind of in the states um, I mean I I mean, the only other place that I've heard which I thought was kind of a odd place for dogmen or, or like werewolves and such I used to live in the Middle East for a while and. Uh, I heard a story of one out there. Um, now, like in Afghanistan, things like that, you hear stories that, of stuff living like in the caves out there and living like in the mountains and such, uh, especially when it comes to like giants and other stuff. But um, who knows? I mean, it's, I, I've only ever heard a story about a dogman or I don't remember what they called it locally, but something that's, that's related to it out there one time. Um, you know, they have all kinds of crazy creatures out there and a lot of like spiritual things and the gin is a big one and they have all kinds of yeah like crazy stories and such but it's yeah it's definitely everywhere you know like i mentioned it 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 gives it credibility when there's people all over the world seeing the same thing slight variations maybe they call it something different or it had different color or things like that but just to know right yeah just to know that other people around the world have seen similar things is great so yeah, that, that is always the fascinating part is when you have corroboration from lots of different cultures or peoples. That 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 is fascinating. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, so I wanted to kind of switch gears here. Um, so you mentioned Loch Ness monster. So you you guys spent some time out there vacationing when you were younger. Um, now a lot of people think maybe it's like a leftover dinosaur from 
way back. No one, you know, just never seen it or they've never discovered it. Um, now, it's Lake Ness is obviously a lake, but it looks like a giant, giant lake, right? So who knows where underground tunnels could lead to? Maybe they lead to the ocean, you know, things like that. So who knows what comes back and forth underneath? But um, I mean, from, any, from everything you've seen, do you think that there's maybe something under there that no one's ever seen before, no one's discovered? I mean, I mean, obviously, a lot of people have seen something, so there's always that. But I mean, what do you what do you kind of think about that? Yeah, it's uh, been a lifelong fascination of mine, along with Bigfoot. I just my newest book just came out this year is called The Essential Guide to the Loch Ness Monster uh, and Other Aquatic Cryptids. It's available on Amazon if people are interested. But basically, um, I, I, I'm fairly convinced by the evidence. And again, I'm going to try to present this as scientifically as possible because I come from a zoological background. Sure. You're right about Loch Ness. Okay. Loch Ness is a very, the surface is very small in terms of it's narrow, 22 and a half miles long by about a mile to 1.7 miles wide, but it's incredibly deep. Uh, It's like a big, Loch Ness is like a big rift, a a geological rift that was, you know, when tectonic plates shifted. So it's very steep cliffs and it just goes down and down and down. And, you know, it's at least 754 feet deep, but there are potentially spots that are over 800 feet deep. Uh, And the water is very dark because there's a lot of sediment and peat that runs into the water. So visibility is poor. So that's one of the reasons that the mystery has been so so, uh, maintained. But anyways, there's like 263 billion cubic feet of water in Loch Ness. So it's tons of water. Um, it is an oligotrophic lake, meaning that it's nutrient poor. So not a lot of, there's not a lot of algae or plankton. So that's a problem for larger animals because there's right. not a really good food chain there. But there have been at least 3,000 documented sightings of Nessie or the Loch Ness monster. They're ongoing. A lot of people think they all happened a long time ago, but I have contacts around Loch Ness that tell me that Every year, there are still at least 10 good sightings. There have been a lot of sonar contacts through the years, dating back to 1954, of giant 20 to 30-foot animate objects swimming around, you know, hundreds of feet deep that no one's been able to identify. And some of the photographs have been hoaxed. So there are some hoaxed photographs, but there are some that are kind of compelling. So there is a substantial amount of evidence for the Loch Ness Monster, but if you take the wide view of that phenomenon, which I do in my book, things similar to the Loch Ness Monster have also been reported in the ocean, dating back centuries, where they were called sea serpents or sea monsters. And then even here in, in the U.S. and North America, we have like the Lake Champlain Monster up in New York and Vermont. We have one in Canada called the Ogopogo. Lake monsters have been reported from lakes in Russia, Scandinavia, Ireland, Japan, they're always the same types of lakes, Paul, just like Loch Ness. They're very cold, very deep lakes along the same lines of latitude in the Northern Hemisphere. So what I'm getting at is I think that if the Loch Ness Monster exists, it's just one example of a bunch of these types of animals that are all over the world. And I, I personally think that they do travel into the lakes from the ocean. So right. like, like you said, they're not in the lakes all the time, like other uh fish or species that are known as anadromous like salmon and eels and sturgeon that travel in and out for whatever to breed or food or whatever but um i 
I don't think it's a reptile. I don't think these are reptiles. I think that's one of the things I address in the book because the water is so cold in these lakes. Reptiles don't adapt well to really cold water. Um, they're they're cold-blooded. They're ectothermic. And also, virtually all the eyewitnesses of the Loch Ness Monster and other lake monsters describe humped animals that move up and down like this when they right. swim on the surface. So those are vertical undulations, right? Well, check this out. That is a specifically a mammalian characteristic. That is aquatic mammals flex or swim up and down. Fish and reptiles swim side to side. When they, okay. So I, my own theory is that whatever these animals are, that they are mammals. And uh, I know that people say, well, what kind of mammals? Well, uh, possibly a type of primitive whale. Uh, if you go back in the fossil record about 30 to 40 million years ago, there were these ancient snake-like whales called archaeocetes or bacillosaurs. A lot of people don't know these things existed, but they were whales, but they had a long snake-like body. They were like 60 feet long. So maybe something like that. Who knows? But uh, I, don't, I don't know if I advocate or endorse the theory about like a plesiosaur, which is like a, an ancient marine reptile. Um, but who knows? It's a mystery because they're, you know, people typically only see part of them. <laughs> so right, you, don't, yeah. you don't get the whole picture. You see like the hump or the back or maybe the head, but, but uh, I, you know, I, I think they could, they could exist. I mean, you know, the oceans are so explored. Who knows? Yeah. It's always a shame when I hear, I mean, obviously it's not, a, okay. So I wouldn't say a shame, but um, when you hear like NASA and like SpaceX and all these things saying that they're going to space and they want to go to these planets and such, but like so much of the of the ocean here on earth has not been explored. Like we know more about space than we do about, you know, like underwater here. Um, and so it's like, we should be looking inward <laughs> instead of outward. I mean, yeah, you know, like I, I so uh, like I spent, I spent some time, in the Navy. And I, I heard a lot of stories about people being out at sea. And I guess I had a lot of friends that like, used to be like on nuclear submarines and such. And, and like the things that they would see, not only underwater, but like out at sea, like in the middle of the night, oh, I saw like this thing poking its head out the water. Um, and like, we're underneath the water and you would hear noises and just all kinds of crazy stuff. So it's like, is there maybe like another let me say world underneath the ocean that we don't like we're not aware of like animals that have adapted so well that they can live at the bottom of the ocean just kind of going in and out and is there tunnels that interconnect around the world i'm sure but um yeah i mean is there any other kind of like crazy sea creatures that you know besides of the ones that everybody knows obviously Loch Ness monster but is it like anything else well, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there, and I, you obviously had the experience, but, you know, like I always like to point out to people, I mean, there are new things being discovered in the ocean all the time. The average depth of the ocean, Paul, is 12,000 feet. I don't know if you know that. That's the average depth. Right. So, I mean, it goes, you know, some of those trenches go down like 27,000, 30,000 feet. But um, uh, these sea serpents or Nessies are the most famous or widely known, but, you know, there have been theories and speculation about giant sharks like uh, Megalodon. Right. It was a giant ancient shark that I don't personally advocate that. The, I don't think that necessarily one of the stronger candidates. People know about the giant squid, mm -hmm. uh, you know, which used to be a legendary creature in Norse mythology called the Kraken. Right. And then we discovered that they, in great depths, you have these monstrous squids that are like 50 feet long. 
giant eyes like that big. Um, maybe there's something bigger than a giant squid. You know, these are invertebrates or mollusks. So if they live deep in the ocean, I mean, there's nothing that would limit their, their growth potential. You know, they don't have backbones or they don't have spines and backbone uh, bones like us. Right, right. So they can just grow and grow and grow. Um, there have been reports of giant sea turtles, like, like monstrous sea turtles, bigger than any of the known, like leatherback or loggerhead turtles. Right. Um, so those are kind of the main ones, you know, just, uh, but, you know, I just interviewed a guy for my Loch Ness book about a year ago who discovered a new species of whale back in 2017. And, hmm. you know, people don't realize this. They're still finding new, new types of whales in the ocean, you know, yeah. even, in, even in recent years. So that, that shows you right there that uh, there's a, a good Navy related cryptid story. If you, if you're interested. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in 1976, there was a Navy exper- uh, uh, Navy research trawler off the coast of Hawaii, off the Northern coast of Oahu, uh, Oahu had, lowered these giant anchors that were like umbrella shaped anchors uh, very deep in the ocean. And when they pulled them up, there was a giant shark that was about 14 feet long that was tangled up and it died pretty quickly when they pulled it out. Well, they didn't know what it was. So they took it to a local uh, research station there in Hawaii, Naval research station. They called the local uh, Marine biologist in from the Waikiki aquarium. And he looked at this shark and he called his professor and his uh, colleagues and they were like, this we, this, we don't know what this thing is. And it turned out to be a new species of shark called the megamouth shark. Okay. And uh, there were some of the rarest sharks in the world. They've only been seen about 60 times since the 1970s. But these things are crazy. They have like uh, bioluminescent lips that okay. crawl in like small animals and things and yeah, yeah. so i mean there you go right there there's a perfect example of how the navy played a, a role in, in discovering this giant species of shark that we'd never heard about before so that's a kind of a cool story yeah it's kind of like those fish that have those like lights hanging off in front of their heads yeah like, right in front of them and then yeah and they catch them it's it's so it's kind of a crazy thing like when things like that happen um to think about maybe somebody's discovered something and they just didn't know what they were looking at and they just kind of threw it back in the ocean or whatever. It's like, so my wife's from the Philippines and they always have things wash up on the beach that they don't know what it is. And like, I'm sure you've seen those videos and um, everybody's like, like around and they're just like, ah, you know, whatever. And they just throw it back or, you know, so it might be something that no one's ever seen before, but they just either don't care or they just don't know what <laughs> yeah. it is. And they're just like, yeah, we'll just throw it back in the ocean. That like, I wonder how many things or how many last of its kind creatures or animals have been found that way and like we'll just never see yeah. them anymore because nobody knows what they are you know and they just they're just like ah well you know whatever <laughs> so that's interesting uh yeah i mean it's i just wish we would kind of look inward more like i wish we would spend more money and time um putting resources into kind of going like like into the ocean deeper now obviously there's a lot of people that do a lot of great work on it you know it's I, I want to overlook their you know what they do but um when it comes to like millions and millions of dollars of grants and like money from like private companies to go like under the ocean you just don't see it which which is unfortunate but um but yeah i mean a lot of people think um well i wouldn't say a lot of people but a lot of people that i've spoken with say that squids and octopus aren't from this world just because of yeah. like their makeup which is definitely interesting if if that's the case I and mean, who knows but 
um, just because of the fact of what they're made up like and, you know, how they're able to squeeze through tiny holes and they have no bones and they're just able to do, you know, whatever it's, you could definitely see that they'd probably be like an alien from another world or something. That's, that's definitely interesting to think about. Pretty weird. And there are a lot, definitely a lot of things in the deep ocean that we haven't seen yet, just because it's so difficult to get down there. But going back to your point about the Philippines, and th- I, there's actually a chapter in my book on the essential guide to Loch Ness Monster, where I talk about a lot of these carcasses around the world that have washed up on beaches. A lot of them have been identified over time. Most of them have, but like you said, lot, they're very hard to identify. And there was actually a recent case in the Philippines. Um, so what happened, and I don't have the book in front of me, so I'm just kind of going to spitball this, but there was an underwater earthquake off the coast of New Zealand. Okay. And what that did was it caused a lot of sperm whales to freak out. And basically they were real sensitive to the vibrations, So they kind of got off course mm. and just kind of, they eventually died because they were so discombobulated by everything that happened. Well, these rotting sperm whale carcasses were out at sea for who knows months. And then they eventually washed up on Philippine beaches. And you can see these videos on YouTube. There are these giant white rotting masses. And, you know, yeah. it doesn't look like a whale anymore. It's just a big white blubbery blob. That, oh, and, they look, yeah. and they look hairy too, because the, the, the fibrous tissues of the muscles and the fatty tissues break up and it looks like fur or hair, but it's not, it's like right. fatty tissue. But anyway, so that those are, those, those come up all the time. And people, when they see them, like you said, they're like, what is that? It's just a big white, you know, 60 foot long mass. And then sometimes, but fortunately now we have DNA testing. So scientists can, you know, if they get a sample, they can, okay, that was a sperm whale or whatever, but Right. Who knows how many opportunities have been missed like that, Paul, where something washed up and people didn't report it or didn't, you know? Yeah. Didn't pay it's unfortunate. Any attention to it. It might have been something completely unknown. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely sad to think about. It's, you know, especially out there, like in the Philippines, it's, I mean, they, they get enough attention to where they put it like online or like, hey, what's this? You know, whatever. But besides that, I mean, if nobody else sees it from around the world, like from here in the States, like guys like yourself or like other people that actually study it. If, if nobody sees it, then it's just another like animal that washed up or another whale. And then, then they just leave it to rot or they throw it back in the ocean and it's just gone forever. So uh, it's quite unfortunate, but it happens. And hopefully we uh, get to discover a whole lot more stuff. Like you said, there's a lot of stuff that we still don't know about the ocean and they're discovering things all the time, even like in the jungles and such. So yeah. Um, that's, that's some sure. good stuff. But, um, so as we wind down our time here together, um, I just really want to appreciate, uh, thank you for spending some time with me today. Um, but like you mentioned before, um, anybody that wants to pick up your books, uh, where can they get your latest books? And I really appreciate you sending over the book as well. I have a menagerie of mysterious beasts right here for anybody that wants to pick it up as well. Go ahead and do that. Can they find these on Amazon only, or can they go to your website or how would they do that? Yeah. Uh, well, thanks again for having me on, man. Some great, great questions and uh, discussion. Yeah, all my books are available on Amazon. If people just type in Ken Gerhard. They can go to my author page and find them and purchase them there directly. Um, I do sell autographed books, signed books, or personalized books directly. And um, people, usually the best way to contact me is either through my website, kengerhard.com, or I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. 
Uh, so I'm pretty easy to find on social media and I'm happy to, you know, some people want signed books or personalized books and I'm happy to do that directly. So, um, yeah. So and I, I am on a, uh, I'm on a, currently on a TV series on the history channel called the proof is out there. Okay. And, uh, season two will be debuting at the end of this month, August. You'll have to check your local listings. It usually comes on before ancient aliens, but, okay. um, but yeah, if people are interested in checking that show out, the proof is out there on the History Channel. Yeah, absolutely. Now we'll have all the links down below for everybody. We'll have the website, um, KempGerhard.com, Facebook, uh, Kemp Gerhard Cryptozoologist. Uh, we'll have the books down below as well um, as the show as well. So everybody wants to check that out, they can find that. Um, sir, I appreciate the time. Um, I really enjoy your work. Uh, read to the book as well. So I'm a little more than halfway done with it. Uh, so that'll be done oh, hopefully cool. by the end of the week. Thank so, you. yeah, I try to get through everybody's books, you know, before I have them on. Um, for this one, I was kind of taking my time because I was reading it to my son as well. He was, <laughs> he enjoys it. So, so that's good. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So we'll be getting through that. Yeah, how well. old is your son? Uh, he's seven right now. Okay. Perfect. Man, that's yeah. right around the age when I got interested in all this stuff. So that, that, that makes me feel good that, uh, that makes my heart happy that he's interested. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, he's he's all about anything creepy and like any kind of weird beast and stuff. So he's he really enjoys it. So yeah, it's a great book. He he really enjoys it. So we're almost done with that. We'll get through those as well. So um, I really appreciate the time. And like I said, I'll have all the links down below for everybody that wants to check out all the books. You guys can head over to KenGerhard.com as well on Facebook. Uh, we'll have all the links to all the social media as well uh sir appreciate it stay safe out there thanks paul and thank you to everyone who listened in today absolutely guys uh really stay appreciate safe out there yeah absolutely everybody stay safe i uh, really appreciate you guys stopping in once again like i mentioned before if you guys aren't already a subscriber on youtube please consider hitting that subscribe button right now that like button as well and the bell icon so you don't miss an episode in the future uh you guys can catch us on spotify google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio. if you guys are on the go I'll have all the links for social media down below. Um, you can shoot us an email, like I said before. Questions or comments for myself or our guests. Any guest or topic recommendations can be sent over to thetruthdefender1776 at gmail.com. Everybody stay safe out there. Stay blessed. And most of all, stay frosty. Stay frosty.